to the Smokies podcast. This podcast is about America's most visited national park, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and the surrounding towns. This area is filled with ancient natural beauty, deep storied history, and rich mountain cultures that we explore with weekly episodes. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, man of the world, but also with deep roots in these mountains. My family has lived in the Great Smokies for over 200 years. My business is in travel, but my heart is in culture. Today, we're going to talk about Tar Heel Lightning, talking past NASCAR and, and other mountain cultural touchstones with Dan Pierce. But first, our sponsors. Imagine a place evocative of motor courts of the past, yet modern and vibrant with a chic Appalachian feel. A place for adventure for relaxation. Imagine a place where you could fish in a mountain heritage trout stream, grill the catch on a fire, and eat accompanied by fine wine or craft beers. Imagine a place with old-time music and world cultural sounds. There is no other place like the Meadowlark Motel in Maggie Valley. Your Smoky Mountain adventures start with where you stay. The Smoky Mountains and surrounding areas is a vacation destination for all seasons. Some of the nation's best hiking trails, waterfalls, outdoor adventures, and family entertainment can be found right here. Start your adventure by using SmokiesAdventure.com. That's Smokies, plural, adventure, singular.com to explore all the wonderful features of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Trails, waterfalls, Cades Cove, the Elk, and more. Then check out all the awesome family attractions, uh, uh, swanky and interesting lodging facilities, and entertainment you and your entire family can enjoy. The goal of SmokiesAdventure.com is to be your leading information uh, source for adventures and experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains. Some upcoming events I want to tell you about. On June 18th at 4 p.m. is part four of the Heritage Book Series with uh, Bob Plot. It's another informative and entertaining and fun afternoon of history, food, and music uh, as a part of uh, part four of our Heritage Book Series. And it's award-winning author and Meadowlark Smoky Mountain Heritage Center uh, General Manager Bob Plot uh, discussing his fourth book, Colorful Characters of the Great Smoky Mountains. And in this, these books, he weaves the lively stories of vibrant and intriguing characters such as the Cherokee chiefs, Yona Guska, Okanasta, Okan, I, I should have gotten this before I got on the Okonostoda. Uh, sorry if I, I really I really butchered that name. Dragging Canoe and their allies, such as John Watts, along with their combatants, Robert Rogers, Quentin Kennedy, King Hayler, the Stockbridge, Mohicans, Francis Marion, and others. And then there's modern-day icons, such as Von Plott, Charles M- M- Miller, and Earl Anning. There will be a book signing and a barbecue dinner, as well as an evening of acoustic music by Mike Ogletree and friends. It's the, the event is free to motel guests and Heritage Club members, uh, but, but there's an admission charge, $10 for, for all other people. Call 828-926-1717 to reserve your place. On Julu, July 9th, uh, a mountain icon, uh, Isla, Isla, Isla Hatter, is going to have a, a program called Wildcrafting and Mother's Nature Natural Garden. And it starts on July 9th at 10 a.m. And, it'll, and, it'll, and it'll be, it's a program featuring 
uh, a legendary wildcrafting expert, you know, Isla Hatter, and she was also a renowned author, filmmaker, instructor, and tour guide for the G Great Smoky Mountains National Park, elite GSM field school education program. She is an expert on edible plants, medicinal herbs, and anything pertaining to wildcraft foraging and Appalachian's plant trees and flowers. She is going to give a presentation on, uh, on all sorts of stuff uh, related to wildcrafting. And then she's actually going to take our, the guests and people there on, a, on an adventure on the grounds and the surrounding area to actually forage things and learn how to do it right in your own backyard. So uh, call 828-926-1717 to reserve your place. It's free for guests and Heritage, Heritage Club uh, members, and there's a $20 uh, uh, price per, for admission for everybody else. And then on August 6th, there's going to be a Cher the launch of a Cherokee Heritage Series with Davy Arch. Um, and Davy Arch is a, is a world-famous Cherokee tribal historian and award-winning craftsman of traditional Cherokee crafts, specifically masks and baskets, and a beloved spokesman for the Eastern Cherokee uh, tribe. The, the event will be followed by a barbecue dinner and music, uh, and it's $20 per guest, and it's free for motel guests. Call 828-926-1717 to reserve your seat now and for all events at the Meadowlark Motel. So um, today we're going to be talking with Dan Pierce, who's a renowned author, columnist, and consultant who earned degrees from Western Carolina University, the University of Alabama, and the University of Tennessee before becoming a history professor at UNC Asheville. Dan is an avid outdoorsman, passionate about NASCAR, moonshine history, Appalachian culture, environmental issues, and race relations. He lives with his family in Black Mountain, North Carolina. Hello, Dan. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Good yeah. to be here. It's good to be here. It's a, hot, a little hot right now, but uh, we're getting over it, right? Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. So, uh, so like me, you're a, you're a, a native of Western North Carolina. You grew up in West Asheville, right? I did. I, uh, you know, I, I hesitate to call myself a native because I was born in Arkansas. Uh, but, uh, as they say, I got here as quickly as I could. I, I was three when I, uh, uh, arrived in West Asheville. I've always said, uh, the good Lord, I'm thankful to the good Lord for calling my dad to come pastor the Grace Baptist Church in West Asheville. And so I grew up there and kind of a, uh, as I put it, a, a combination of Mayberry and a cotton mill town uh, in West Asheville at that time, which is not at all what West Asheville is today. Oh, no, it's changed it's, a little bit. Yeah, uh, it's changed a little lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I just relocated with my family back, uh, you know, I grew up in Haywood County, you know, right next to Asheville. My family's been in that county for over 200 years. So, you know, I got, I was born and raised and all that sort of thing. But then I spent 27 years in New York City uh, where my kids were born. And I uh, just relocated the whole kit and caboodle back to Asheville. So uh, uh, I, I, it's, you know, it's a, it's a great place to come. And, you know, as you can say, as you, as you mentioned, it's changed a lot, uh, I think, in a positive way. Uh, but, uh, it was, it was, I thought it was pretty cool when we were growing up. Uh, how, what was it like growing up in West Asheville? Well, like I said, it was kind of a combination of Mayberry and a cotton mill town, you know, when, and of course we were very much free range kids at the time and, you know, rode our bikes all over West Asheville and walked, uh, you know, I remember one particular Saturday, my buddy, Steve Harris and I 
just decided on the spur of the moment, we'd walk to Spivey, uh, to the top of Spivey Mountain, which is out in the Lester area. So we walked out Lester Highway. I mean, we were maybe, you know, 11, 12 years old and, and uh, walked to the top of Spivey Mountain and back. Nobody knew, you know, it was probably, I don't know, 10, 15 miles that we walked that day. But that was, that was the place I grew up, you know, and you knew, knew everybody and uh, 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 pretty much. And um, it was just one of those kind of neighborhoods. So, uh, and yeah. the, the other great thing was being in Western North Carolina and particularly once you got a little more mobile and wheels, you know, we went to the mountains a lot and, uh, you know, we go to the top of a mountain and play capture the flag and stuff like that, or roll rocks off the side of the mountain or things like that <laughs> and go to swimming holes and all that kind of stuff. So it was, it was a great, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but it was a great, great place to grow up. It's still good. You know, I, uh, I went uh, right in our backyard so far, we're in North Asheville, right. And we're on a real, real wonderful street, you know, and our kids bike on the street just like you 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 know you, you remember and they they're out there with other kids and all we have to do is you know car and all the kids get off the road but it's you know not meant there's not really that much traffic but uh what's interesting is uh, is that in the in the week that we've been here we've seen had a black bear and two deer in our backyard uh, which i don't really remember Asheville being that prevalent for big wildlife yeah, you know, there weren't. Uh, there were no turkeys. There, were, you, you never saw a bear unless you were in the Smokies and, the, and their head was in a garbage can, uh, and you never saw deer. You know, it was. It's. It's really one of the great changes recent. Well, I, um, I'd prefer to see bears a little less frequently in my yard. Actually, one got up. I've got uh, my bird feeder strung about fifteen feet up off the ground, and one of them figured out how to get up there and kind of twang the wire and got one of the bird feeders to bounce off today. So a lot, we, we saw him trying it the other day and I shot him with a BB gun. Um, I don't know if I can say that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> is that illegal? But, <laughs> and, 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 and scared him off, but he got my bird feeder today and I can't yeah. find it. So. Oh no. Uh, you know, BB guns and rock saw were the thing back in the day. And I think they're probably still could have their uses. <laughs> Oh, so, uh, what, uh, you know, I think it's interesting. You grew up in West Asheville. It's changed a lot. Like you mentioned, what, what would you think is the biggest change? Well, the real estate prices for, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> they were just talking about, you know, is there going to be a million dollar bungalow for sale in West Asheville soon? You know, it's just yeah. crazy. You know, the, the, the homes, it was very blue collar when I, uh, when I grew up there. And of course you had the Asheville speedway down there having, uh, races and, or, 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 uh, as some people put it, you know, went, went to the fights and a race broke out, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a pretty rough place, but, uh, you know, and the, and, and the only dining establishment really was the tasty diner, you know, and, uh, um, where you could go sit at the bar with Jack Ingram, you know, he's in the NASCAR hall of fame. So right. it's it uh, a great foodie place now, man. There's some great restaurants out there. Yeah. I love jargon, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, those weren't there. You know, it's kind of one of those deals, you know, I hear they're good. You yeah. Know? I don't get to West Asheville much anymore. You know? Well, jargon is good. There's a, there's a really great coffee place. I'm drawing a blank on the name right now, but there, and there's a, there, you know, the early girl has opened up at West Asheville, which is a really good, you know, farm to table thing. So um, it's, it's become a great place to go and, 
pick up some really good food. I'm telling you right now, everybody should go visit there. And then they got the artsy sort of scene going on yeah. and uh, performance and things like that. Um, and I read the interview. That's not my day was the uh, chili dog at the surf side. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or, or I remember driving back, you know, and we'd always stop at West Asheville at the Denny's after being at the nightclub, but <laughs> I don't seem to be open anymore. So I read an interview that you said uh, something that affect that folks around uh, Asheville had no pretense or they, 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 they are who they are, take it or leave it. Uh, and I, you know, do you feel that's the, that's the way they are now too? uh it's hard to say you know? yeah right <laughs> <laughs> it's a different uh i don't have as good a read on uh uh the recent arrivals as i did on the uh, folks i grew up with but <laughs> well it's very true when i grew up the same thing and i think that the people that are local here are and i think it rubs off i do think that people uh, come from from different areas uh, get a little bit get, lose a little bit of the pretense and they become a little bit more authentic. I mean, not as authentic as, you know, what we grew up with, but, you know, like, uh, you know, there was somebody I read somewhere that, you know, uh, nobody really has a fancy car in Asheville. You know, it's, uh, you know, everybody has, you know, sort of, uh, you know, uh, work, uh, practical cars, right? Well, mine is a mine is a truck with a We Still Possum Hunt bumper sticker on it. So. I'm still, I'm driving my dad's, 1984 GMC truck. So, <laughs> so and to get this current gas climate, I'm not driving it that much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, listen, we have to uh, take a break and we'll come back. I'll talk a little bit more about your history and then get into some of your books. All right. All right. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast and my guest Dan Beers. So Dan, you uh, you uh, grew up in, in in Asheville, then you you left it to go get your bachelor at uh, BS Bachelor of Science at Western Carolina Carolina University, and your master's at Alabama, and then your PhD at the University of Tennessee. And now, lo and behold, you're a renowned writer and history professor. Did you always want to be a teacher and writer? Uh, well, uh, a, a teacher, I think was something I arrived at, uh, you know, in my, uh, my late teens, I worked at a, um, I had a, a parks program in Asheville and I ran a park for a couple of summers. I liked kids a lot. And, and, uh, so I ended up majoring in education. I taught fifth grade for three years and, uh, and I had, um, uh, kind of a weird experience educationally. I was a horrible student. I was kind of an obnoxious kid, but I had a sixth grade teacher that was really inspiring. She loved history, and uh, and then a weird thing happened where she was a she was a widow. She asked me if I'd like to go to Europe, and so <laughs> she ended up taking me uh, the next summer uh, after my seventh grade year uh, to Europe. Uh, me and another twelve year old boy. It was. Uh, a wow, that's a stunning thing. Oh my God. That yeah, was, it, that it was changed I, your life. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was really strange. And then she ended up being my mom's best friend. So, wow. and just a dear her name was Jean Bennett and just a wonderful person. So she kind of inspired me to teach. And then I had a lot of bad examples, I think, that I learned from too. <laughs> along the way. 
(laughs) about what not to do. And so I taught fifth grade, love that. Uh, but was young, single, went to, uh, pulled up and went to Alabama, which is a great experience uh, for two years and got my master's and, and, uh, kind of cast my lot with Southern history at that point. Uh, then I got married and moved to Nashville, Tennessee and taught high school for eight years. And I was coach Pierce for, um, that time and really enjoyed that stage of my life, but, but then decided, um, with the help of my wife to go back for a PhD. So, um, I, I finished my PhD at about the age of, of 40. And so, you know, I kind of came to this late in life and then, um, you know, the first, uh, the first book, I, I guess I was 45 when the first book came out. So I really never imagined, you know, um, I'm, I've always been an avid reader, but I never imagined being a writer. And then, um, I, I just had some great me- mentors in graduate school that simplified things for me. Writing was always uh, painful for me. And then they simplified things, made it much easier and, 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 and taught me how to sit down and write, you know? <laughs> and, and so then that, you know, that, I don't know, you know, seven books. Too, would, would you start writing before you came to uh, UNC actual? Well, I could, I had to write a dissertation and well, I had to do a master's thesis and a dissertation. Yeah. And so that I did write any books until you got to UNCA. Yeah. Well, the dissertation became the first book, but I had to do some significant rewriting on it. And, uh, and, and I've, I've been very fortunate to be the places where I've been, where I've kind of been able to pick and choose what I wanted to do research on and write about. So, you know, I, I you know, I, I have a good time with it. So, uh, there are some people I know who, who, who hated their dissertation topic and they, <laughs> you know, they hate their research, but they're kind of stuck because of the requirements of their tenure or whatever. And mm-hmm. I've just been able to do what I want. So I have a good time and I get to do research by, you know, going hiking in the mountains or going to a stock car race or hanging out with moonshine That's or not bad research, right? Uh, stuff like that or traveling in the West recently, <laughs> you know, well, how did how did you get, um, I mean, I don't know if it's luck or, or, or whatever to actually get to come back to your hometown and be a professor for so long. It was totally accidental. I I was in graduate school finishing up and, uh, a, a, a one year position opened up at Mars Hill, uh, uh, university. And I did that for a year. And then I was fortunate enough to get a one year deal at UNC Asheville. Uh, and then, I was fortunate enough to get a one-year deal at Western Carolina University, and then I kind of adjuncted for a while, and finally, I think UNC Asheville figured I wasn't going to go away, and they finally hired me on tenure track. That's fabulous. So, uh, yeah. And, well, uh, UNC Asheville is a very interesting place. You know we uh, where we moved. I'm right there, right? So I'm paying attention. You know, I, I actually, you know, I've been an artist, and I've been in some museums and things, but, you know, one of my first, actually my first formal training in art, uh, was at UNC Asheville. I mean, I'd gone to Duke and then I'd had a career in technology, but then I burned out for a little while and just sort of tooled around. And my first formal training of any sort of school was at UNC Asheville before I moved on up north and went to other places. But uh, so it's sort of fun for me to be living there, you know, it's uh, uh, and it's, it's a great place that they're having a something very soon that I think is interesting. You're having a world-class conference called the Idea uh, Festival. Yeah, uh, they that's pretty crazy, got, right? Yeah, they got uh, 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 you know, lots of well-known uh, 
speakers, uh, John Meacham. Uh, yeah, we got Martin, some major people. Oh, yeah, so, really? Yeah. yeah. I'm, so, I, I'm in the middle of moving. Yeah, I'm still doing this. I can't go, but I'll probably go next year. It looks great. Yeah. Um, so your books and articles cover a pretty wide range of subjects. All of them interesting. You already started mentioning them. But in 19, 2010, you released Real NASCAR, White Lightning, Red Clay, and Bill Big Bill Franz. Was that your first book? No, that was the second. The first one was uh, uh, 10 years before that. Actually, it was my dissertation. It was on the, it's called The Great Smokies from Natural Habitat to National Park. And it's on oh, the yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, establishment of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. So it kind of casts, that's kind of been, I guess, if I have an, an area, you know, four of my books are uh, related to the Great Smoky Mountains. So, uh, so oh, yeah. it looks like you have a series on NASCAR too and moonshining. So you have, well, your, yeah, and, and yeah, they, you got some interest. There's some, <laughs> Yeah, there's some overlap there. So I did the NASCAR book and then uh, a guy with the Great Smoky Mountains Association, an editor there, asked me to do a book on on Moonshine and the Smokies. And then that turned into a bigger book on Moonshine in North Carolina. So um, well, so well, they all kind of run together in, in kind of a weird way. Well, why, why, why did you write a book on NASCAR? What, got, what was your interest there? Well, the big thing, uh, I'd always, you know, I grew up as I put it, uh, within earshot of the, what they call the new Asheville speedway or the, or the river, which was kind of a legend. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Down on Amboy road in West Asheville. And it was a big hangout. Um, I was kind of, well, evilly influenced by my brother, my, my older brother. And, and he, he was all about kind of living down your West Asheville road roots and and your redneck roots and and hanging out with the north Asheville kids and mm. all that so i always i never went to a race there i never thought about it. we just didn't do that kind of thing you know baptist preacher's son and and <laughs> so i always kind of made fun of it but then i had a roommate at western uh at western carolina who was avid i mean he still is and uh, uh and he kept trying to get me to go to races and then finally right as I was finishing up my PhD work at uh, Tennessee, he was living in East Tennessee. He said, uh, I got tickets. I got a couple of tickets to Bristol. Why don't you come go with me? And so I thought, well, you can't call yourself a Southern historian if you've never I been to Bristol, race, you know? And so, uh, that was 1994. And I went to my first race was the night race at Bristol. I didn't have a clue about anything. Uh, first thing he didn't say anything about how loud it was and I didn't have any earplugs or anything. I thought I was going to go deaf. And so I, fortunately I had a strap on my sunglasses and I was able to stuff that in my ears. And, and, but the thing that got me, I think, I mean, I, the racing was, was incredible. I mean, it was just really exciting. Uh, but the thing that got me were the fans that just, um, were unreal i mean just the passion fanatics fanatics about yeah that. yeah there well, was a guy what, what, what explains that popularity yeah you know i don't know i i don't see it as intense as it was at that time yeah. um, but it was intense and uh I'll, I'll never forget there was a guy sitting in front of us and we were way up near the top and uh i don't know we were 100 rows up or more and uh this guy was sitting there. He had a big old cooler. He brought in, I don't know how many beers he drank, but, <laughs> but he would, they at Bristol's a half mile track. So they're coming by every 16, 15, 16 seconds. This guy would stand up every time Dale Earnhardt's car came by and shoot him bird. <laughs> 
So uh, you think it was a little bit like pro wrestling? They're, 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 I, I don't they're, know. You know, well, the drivers had a little bit of a of a of a of a, of a character that uh, that represented something. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, there was a lot of that kind of. It was very uh, almost a moral drama, almost particularly at that time. Jeff Gordon was coming on the scene as kind of the clean cut California kid, you know. And here's Dale Earnhardt, this gruff, uh, yeah. you know, rough and tumble guy who worked in a cotton mill, you know, and you know, grease under his fingernails kind of guy, which is not necessarily true, but, but he had that image, you know? And so it was, it was great. You know, I mean, it was just intense, you know? Now the first big name in uh, NASCAR was uh, William Henry Getty, big bill France. Well, what was his, uh, what was his position in the sports? Well, he, he was a, the founder, basically yeah, yeah. the owner. I mean, the France family, it's, it's unique in professional sports and that, that, NASCAR is owned by the France family still is wow. it's run by the France family. And, uh, so his, um, um, uh, his brother or, or his son, uh, Jim France is pretty much the head of it now, but then his, his grandchildren, uh, well, Brian France is kind of out of the picture. Now he ran it for a while, a grandchild, but, um, uh, Lisa, uh, France Kennedy is, um, has a big hand in it. So it's still a family run business. And he kind of ran it with a, with, uh, an iron fist back in the day. And of course it was oh, a pretty, back in those days. It was all those guys were like, yeah, I mean, it was, <laughs> it, it was a pretty rough crowd, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, there were a lot of, a lot of those guys, you know, got their first high speed driving experience behind of a, you know, um, uh, a 39 Ford coupe, you know, hauling liquor. Yeah, you know, right somewhere. So I'm trying uh, to get I'm trying to get the front end of one of those coops to fit, put in. We got the moonshine room. I was going to put it in there. Yeah. So you know, we have, I would take a break soon. But you have you declare at the end of that book, I would humbly suggest that it's time for NASCAR to stop modernizing tradition and start embracing its tradition. What's the simple uh, explanation of that statement? Well, I, you know, they kind of hidden from their moonshine roots. They're doing a little bit more now, but I think they ought to embrace it. You know, I think that they, uh, you know, it's a great story, you know, about these, these guys who, who had nothing, you know, but were very creative and entrepreneurial and, um, aggressive, you know, some of my relatives ran yeah, moonshine and they they had souped up cars man and uh the stories of them racing through the hills to avoid revenues are pretty hair-raising right so uh uh cool well we gotta take another break when i come back i want to talk a little bit more about uh moonshine and your books on that Howdy, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy, the gateway to the Smokies podcast with my guest, Dan Pierce. So, Dan, you know, you uh, you wrote another book. You've actually written a couple books about moonshining, and you wrote another one that combined NASCAR and moonshining called Tar Heel Lightning, how secret stills and fast cars made North Carolina the moonshine capital of the world. So we talked about how moonshine helped NASCAR. How did NASCAR and fast cars make North Carolina the moonshine capital? Well, it's a long story, but from the very beginning, when, uh, you know, making uh, whiskey became illegal or, um, illegal, that, that is if you didn't pay the federal excise tax and that was, 
um, uh, well, went into effect in North Carolina right after the Civil War. Uh, North Carolina from the very beginning, you know, there was a long tradition of making, making whiskey in North Carolina. I mean, going back to the earliest set, uh, white settlers who brought that skill with them and brought their stills with them perfectly legal activity, uh, uh, with few exceptions up until then. Uh, and you know, they weren't about to give it up, you know? And so, uh, it was too important of an economic activity. They couldn't make any money if they, uh, on it, if they, if they paid the tax and so they made it illegally. And, and so it just became very much ingrained in North Carolina history and culture as hard as the federal government. And then when around the turn of the century, you started getting prohibition and then North Carolina became one of the first States to, um, uh, to have statewide prohibition in 1909. Uh, and it, it's, it's kind of interesting. There's that, that, that dynamic with prohibition and moonshine, but they really go hand in hand. And part of the reason North Carolina was, um, such, uh, you know, moonshine was so important in North Carolina and so big in North Carolina was because prohibition was so strong. And so, you know, even after national, you know, you had national prohibition when that ended, you still had local option in North Carolina. And so most counties were dry well into the sixties and seventies and even still have, uh, some dry municipalities and stuff like that, uh, around the state. But, uh, but again, it was, it was, it was a long time before, you know, most people could buy uh, legal liquor in this state. So there was a great market for, moonshine which of course fed into nascar you know it was kind of a you know a, a two-way street there you know you had people who who became successful drivers who uh figured out they could make more money hauling liquor than they could win and race <laughs> so you know well, it was an important economic uh it was i mean it had a it was an economic boom for people in the mountains even though it was also devastating you know and a lot of social ills from it as well but you know, it was like quick money right yeah there was you couldn't get loans you couldn't get anything else but you could make right. quick money with moonshine right yeah for a lot of people it was kind of an insurance uh, yeah. policy and you know most people were not career moonshiners you know they weren't your popcorn suttons you know uh who who did it all their life you know they did it you know when there was there was kind of an economic emergency or they're or they're young they're you know they're kind of um you know starting out so a lot of people you know um you know, it's kind of funny, you know, you talk to, to people and everybody says, Oh, well, you know, I, in, in my family, you know, so-and-so hauled liquor or something like that. And, and it was just a common thing, you know, for a lot of people, it was, it was one of the few ways that you could get cash money. Yeah. Yeah. Lot, it, was hard to, it was hard to get cash, right? So. Big cash money. And, you know, if you're willing to take the risk and so, you know, for a lot of people, it was, uh, you know, almost an expect, depending on the community you're in, you know, it was almost an expected thing, you know, and, uh, and, yeah. and for a lot of people, it wasn't a great, you know, particularly in rural areas, it wasn't a great disability, you know, the preacher might preach against it, but, but the preacher understood too, that, uh, you needed to do what you, what you could to put shoes on your kids feet and, and, uh, and feed them. And so, and the preacher also knew that he got, you know, that money in the offering plate often came from liquor money. So, and listen, all the general stores loved it because who, where'd they buy the sugar? Where'd they buy the, you know, the, the components it, it fed the economy in general. So, you know, it was, it was, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, they got in things, 
uh, Deborah, and you wrote a book called Corn from a Jar, which we actually carry here at the Metal Arc that explored a lot of these issues, didn't it? Yeah, it looks specifically at the Smokies, but um, again, you know, that's a... Excuse me. Uh, they say moonshine's good for a cough. Well, it is. I, <laughs> you know, I got a freezer full of it. People keep giving it to me. You there know? you go. Oh, yeah. Well, they're still a pretty active... Uh, Oh man, I get people showing up at the motel and we have our pavilion. We have like a, we'll have a, a bluegrass festival or something, man. Everybody's giving me moonshine. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. oh, I got a freezer full of it. Right? Yeah. I do need to go get a sip of it. But <laughs> well, my dad, you know, he has a bunch of it. He probably still has, he used to meet with popcorn. He probably still has some of the popcorn. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think everybody has some purportedly. Yeah, uh, popcorn moonshine. I've heard a lot of it. Oh yeah, I got some popcorn moonshine. <laughs> uh, so what's that? What's that? You know, there was a lot of cultural representations of moonshiners, and I think a lot of that, you know, was purposely, you know, denigrating people, making them into bumpkins. But what do you think is the side of moonshine that most people have never seen? Well, there, gosh, there are a lot of signs, and that was that was what the book. Um, um, Tar Heel Lightning is really about it's kind of like uh complicating, I guess, uh the image, you know, because p- people's image of moonshiner is kind of popcorn sutton, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh the guy with the beard and the overalls and the old truck and you know, and the foul mouth and you know, and apparently uh, popcorn was no dummy for sure. And um but um, you know, one, they were um uh, uh, a, a lot of these people were very smart. Um, they were very entrepreneurial. They were very skilled. Um, I've often talked about Junior Johnson, who's a famous stock car driver and and car owner. But he, uh, of course, got his start, you know, in the family business, which was moonshine. Mm-hmm. But I've often said about Junior Johnson, I think he's one of the smartest people. He, he didn't come, come across as particularly intelligent, but he was one of the smartest people I've ever encountered. And I, uh, I've often said. Um, he probably never read a physics book, but I think he could write one. <laughs> and so a lot of these people were really smart. The other thing was that um, we had this image of the white mountaineer. And the th- fact of the matter is in North Carolina in particular, and in, in most of the South, it was all over. I mean, you know, there's many coastal swamp moonshiners as there were mountain moonshiners, you know, yeah. and, or, or in the Piedmont, it was all over. Um, and it was, and, and, and they weren't white, they, they weren't all white. There were a lot of native American, particularly among the Lumbee, uh, down the Eastern part of North Carolina. Well, they, they sort of taught moonshiners about corn as the, as the, as well, yeah, the, you know, as the, as the, <laughs> well, actually yeah. the, um, the first moonshiners in North Carolina were African-American and native American, because in the 1830s, the legislature passed a law that said, um, said free persons of color. Uh, could not make liquor or sell liquor uh-huh. and, uh, and so they were making it illegally before um you know before white people were yeah and they were using there was a lot of traditions plus there was uh, also traditions of uh slave dis- uh um uh, plantation distilleries using slave labor so they you know a lot of african-americans knew how to make liquor oh they knew how to make it good too uh, so. yeah <laughs> And then the other thing I think that that's that kind of blows people's mind was the number of women involved. 
and uh, that's just a fascinating story, you know. Especially it, uh, on the brandy they made from those uh, that moonshine, right? They had they would well, add yeah. apple and things like that. Yeah. Well, if you had fruit trees, you know, back in the uh, you know well before refrigeration became common, if you had fruit trees, there was one reason why you did, and that was to uh, to make to make brandy or or applejack or something like that, <laughs> some sort of alcohol from it. Yeah. Uh, uh, because you couldn't, you couldn't, you know, if you had a big orchard, I mean, you couldn't preserve all that and, and yeah. you couldn't get it to market, but you could distill it and you could get that to market and, uh, and it would really sell too. Well, find the things that you could, you know, I, I just discovered I could make mead from uh, honey here at the motel. And once we get our, uh, fortified wine and liquor license, and I'm gonna be making. I'm gonna be making our own mead. <laughs> hey, it's a tradition to figure out what you could do. There you go. There you go. That's right. Yeah. Whatever you have at hand, you know. <laughs> but you know, I want to get to. You know, you said you wrote you wrote four books about the Great Smoky Mountains, and uh, and uh, you know, and I think the first one was Natural Habitat to National Parks. So you're. It seems you're a passionate environmentalist. Can you tell us about this book? Yeah, well, again, it's on the uh, establishment of the park, and it's uh, you know it's a great story. Uh, you know, it's a unique story because Smokies and Shenandoah were uh, created in a unique way. At that time, uh, in the 1920s, Congress said they would not purchase lands for national parks. All the national parks were were in the West, and they were in the federal domain. And all you did was change the sign, basically, of of which federal agency is managing it. So. But the Congress wouldn't buy land for for uh, national parks, and so. But then they said, if the states will buy the land, uh, and we approve this land as appropriate for a national park, then then uh, the states can turn the land over to us, and we'll make it a national park. And so that's what happened. But it was a long, slow process because they had to <coughs> they had to raise the money to buy them by the land so they had private donations they had state bonds and then finally it was john d rockefeller jr who who donated five million dollars to make it happen so um, it's a unique thing so so people of western north carolina and east tennessee feel a real sense of ownership uh about the about about the park that other places don't have cool well you know we're i think we could take it we could take a break right now and you can uh, get some more water and uh (laughs) right and then we'll come back we'll talk more about some of your books and uh and some of the uh, other things that you've done and uh add a little moonshine to it Howdy, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast and my guest, Dan Pierce. So, Dan, you wrote several books about the Great Smokies National Park. Uh, you know, the, the, I mentioned the one that was really popular from natural habitat to national parking. What are some of the others that people might look up to? to well, I did, uh, yeah, I did the one on Moonshine of the Smokies, Corn from a Jar. It's probably the book that sold the most. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, and then I did a book on a uh, community of Hazel Creek in uh, Swain County, which was 
displaced. And then there was a long, long controversy about the road to nowhere uh, there in that, in that County that wasn't, that was resolved, you know, maybe 10 years ago. Um, finally after 50 years or so, and that's just a real interesting community and, uh, um, and kind of a legendary community. It's kind of, now it's more kind of a legend as a trout fishing destination, but I was uh, got good trout fishing. I'll tell yeah, you that. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, and then the, the most recent one I did, I, if you can kind of see in the background there, I'll lean my head over is a poster by an artist, a graphic artist by the name of Joel Anderson. Joel and I were friends when I lived in Nashville uh, 30 years ago. And then we lost touch with one another. And he went on to a very successful career, uh, started his own company. And, and then he uh, gave up basically his advertising business to just do poster art full time. And he has an incredible business his best-selling posters are national park posters. And so he did a, a book in, uh, 2016 for the hunt, uh, for the, hundredth uh, anniversary of the national park service on all the national parks and used his poster art and the son did the text. And so I brought in UNCA to do a program about art in the national parks and, uh, over dinner, he asked me if I would be interested in doing a book with him and on the Smokies. And so I said, sure. And, uh, so we made about seven, seven or eight trips into the Smokies, had some great adventures, saw some really cool places. It was, it was so much fun to take him and his son, uh, around, uh, to see a lot of these places that had meant so much to me. And I learned a lot in the process, but anyway, that turned into a book called the illustrated guide to the great smoky mountains national park and uh which is sold in all the park bookstores now and it's just a great kind of coffee table book so it was a real departure oh, that's great yeah and so that was that was so much fun and we had so much fun doing the trips together and all that you know and again you know doing doing quote research you know <laughs> and going to the park and so then that morphed into one that just came out which is um an illustrated guide to the to the grand circle of uh Arizona and Utah and uh so it's southern Utah and northern. Oh, you, you found a niche that's selling, huh? That's yeah, funny. so uh, <laughs> yeah, that was just out but that was that was so much fun. We had sure. some You've almost, done some fun you've done some fun books. I just saw that you co-wrote a book debating the merits of NASCAR versus college football in the south. So uh uh how did that come? How, how did that? How did that come about? What was the? What was the? Uh, what was the, the conclusion? Well, I, I won, uh, but <laughs> it was actually a debate, uh, you know, that was done on uh, um, South Carolina Public Radio, which was broadcast all over. I think on a lot. It was. It was uh, a series called "Tell About the South," and it was. Uh, you know, they brought on two scholars to discuss or debate some issue. So. Um, so got him Hardy Jack- Jackson, who's was from uh, Jacksonville state in Al- in Alabama did the football side and I did the NASCAR side. And so <laughs> I think I whipped him, but, uh, you whipped him. All right, cool. And then you, you, uh, one of your books and I didn't find out which one you can tell me won the Western North Carolina historical association outstanding achievement award. Which one was the book? Well, that was just, uh, that 
uh, achievement awards is kind of a lifetime achievement. Oh, it's a lifetime achievement. Okay. Specific book, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's it's nice. I mean, you, you've got some great titles. I think it's really great. But I also think that uh, um, that you are you are you are very passionate about equal rights and racial diversity, um, and you know, and uh, you know our uh, you know our associate Bob uh, Plot, you know, and his. Uh, a mutual friend wrote about a great book about his son and about the story of WNCR, the railroad and the Murphy branch, a railroad built almost entirely by convict labor, convict labor between 1871 and 1891. And it was a brutally inhumane form of legalized slavery supported by both political parties for two decades. Yeah. Few people are aware of this and the sacrifice made people to open up W Western North Carolina to the outside world. You are leading a committee dedicated to honor these inmate, the inmates, the Railroad Incarcerated Committee. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I live at Ridgecrest, which is um, one of the most storied sections of the railroad and the big uh, roadblock to building the railroad into Western North Carolina was um, uh, what was uh, called the Swannanoah Grade or uh, uh, or the mountain division of the railroad. So it was so hard to, so this is about a three mile stretch as the crow flies, but it's, it's nine miles of railroad. So it twists and turns up the mountain. There's seven tunnels in that section. It took three years using, um, over 3000, uh, incarcerated laborers in the, uh, in the North Carolina state penitentiary basically slavery yes and it was it was it was brutal uh and again they're using nitroglycerin it's very dangerous work they're cramped together in horrible conditions (laughs) and we know from the records that at least 139 of these people died in the process and countless other injuries and you know you know probably permanent injuries as well we just don't know yeah. but uh there was no <clears throat> there's really no i mean there have been a few books uh written and some you know there's a little awareness but uh there's no public recognition there's um and so <clears throat> a group of us um um it actually kind of started on my front porch over breakfast with a friend of mine who's named steve little and he's a lawyer and the mayor of marion north carolina but a big railroad buff and he's been fascinated by this section of railroad since he was a kid and so we put we contacted some folks and put together a committee of people from mcdowell county and buncombe county uh to uh build a memorial and so it um you know, it really, we, you, you know, I've, I put it, it's kind of like the little rascals, you know, we didn't really know what we were doing, you know, it's kind of like, let's put on a show and, but we didn't have a clue as to what we're doing. And so we just kind of, you know, one of our committee members put together a website and we just started contacting people and got some good publicity and the Western okay. North Carolina historical association partnered with us. And we were able to put a, you know, a, donate now button on the thing and you know, money started coming in and before we knew it 
we said, okay, now we we got the money. You know, a lot of a lot of people here remember the railroads back in the day. My great grandfather was a you know was an engineer for the the, the logging railroads, and my, I mean that was a brutal, brutal, brutal business. Yeah, you know, and and the slaves, the slave labor, prison labor got the worst of it. So I think it's a good thing that you're doing, yeah. um, and I appreciate it. You know, we're getting close to the end here. Um, and uh, I want you to have the opportunity to shout out anything we haven't mentioned or where people can look up your books or get in contact with you or however you want them to remember from this, uh, this, uh, this podcast. Well, yeah, uh, always looking for folks to uh, uh, check out. Uh, I would encourage folks to check out uh, Anderson Design Group, uh, which does uh, has the coffee table books. And, and it's just an incredible site with all you know, if you love the Smokies and you want to have something on your wall, his posters are just uh, incredible. And so I would encourage you to do that, um, to patronize the uh, park uh, gift shops that uh, uh, Con Lefty and in Bryson City and uh, all over the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Um, I'm on their uh, I'm on their board. And so all all right. seeds, uh, you know, come back to the park in a great way and they sell my books. So, <laughs> Are so, you on Facebook or anything? What are you on Facebook? Do you have a page? Uh, no, you know, I I'm I, I'm I'm not I haven't done social media. I, well, I are you a Luddite? OK, <laughs> well, I, I've, I've done it in the past, but it just kind of eats up your life in yeah, some ways. Yeah. And so. And so I don't, but, um, but I would also encourage folks to, um, um, uh, check out rail, uh, R-A-I-L dot, dot org, um, which is our website, uh, for, for the rail project. Uh, one of the really cool things just, uh, real quickly, we, we've done recently is to bring in human remains detection dogs and ground penetrating radar and have wow. located some mass graves. Uh, which is, is, is sad and tragic, but we're going to be able to, we, we are looking for funds to be able to mark those places and, uh, and, uh, you know, do what we can, you know, we can't bring those people back, but, but it's a, it's important work, I think. So thank you so much for being on the show. I, I you know, I enjoy the the books that you've read, you've written, and I've, I've read a little bit of the corn in the jar and I've read some others of yours and I look forward to seeing what you do in the future and, uh, and we should keep in touch. So thank you for being on the show. Right. Enjoy it thoroughly. Thank yeah. you. This is the gateway to the Smokies podcast. You can find out more about us at, uh, uh, facebook.com says gateway to the smokies podcast as well as on the talk radio.nyc network where they have lots of live podcasts that are worthwhile going to look at um and and watch uh for ranging from small business to self-help to travel uh like we're having here i also have another podcast called wise content creates wealth which is about marketing and ai uh helping businesses you know achieve better results with their content marketing uh, and that's on Fridays from noon until one. And don't forget to check out the Metal Arc Motel. Call eight, uh, call eight two eight nine two six one seven one seven for a reservation for any of the events, or just come and visit us. I'd love to see you. Uh, so see you next week for this podcast, Gateway with the Smokies, from uh, six until seven on Tuesday night. And uh, until then, have a good week. <music>